Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. We at the Nasty Woman Club pay our respects to the traditional custodians of the Mianjin land. We acknowledge that we are on the stolen lands of the Yaraga and Turbul people, whose sovereignty was never ceded. This is a Lip Media Podcast. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of the Nasty Woman Club. Sorry it's been a little while since I've been in your ears. I had to take a quick hiatus due to personal reasons, but I'm back and cannot wait to share with you all more exciting interviews with some incredible guests. Today on the show, I got to speak with Alyssa Ho. You may recognize that name from the Instagram page, Alyssa Ho Writings. Alyssa discusses racism and cultural appropriation on this page, and she really has used this past year to really become an essential platform for people needing to learn about racism in the Asian community. I feel so lucky to be able to interview this incredible woman. She has taught me so much this past year and I cannot wait for you all to listen to our conversation where we discuss the fox eye trend, the controversy behind the Meijong line and racial gaslighting. This is Alyssa Ho. Well, thank you so much, Lovely, for coming onto the podcast. I've been such a fan of yours for a while now, so this is really exciting for me to actually get to talk to you face-to-face. It's my absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me, and the feeling is definitely mutual. (laughs) Now, I have to say, though, there is someone else that has also become a star on your Instagram page, and I want to know how she has been feeling lately about this recent stardom, which is your grandmother, I adore that woman so much. How is she feeling getting all these DMs and comments from strangers saying how amazing she is? Oh, she absolutely loves it for starters. She really does. I think it's, it's taking a little bit of adjusting to her, as we know, like our grandparents, they kind of just live in a different time. So for her to be like, oh my gosh, there are people on the internet who, who are telling me like they'd love me and all of these kind things. It kind of blows her away a bit, but I think she, she definitely does love it. And yeah, as much as she loves all of her grandchildren, she sees kind of, you know, the Alyssa Ho writings community as her own little families, which is really sweet. Oh, that's good. Well, yes, more content of her, please. Just like even just like your everyday when you see everyday life, when you see her, just more of her. I love her. It's coming. I promise. I'm giving the people (laughs) what they want, which is grandma win content. (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. So before your page became what it is today, which we'll go into more detail soon, what for those of you that aren't following you, which if you're not following Alyssa Ho, make sure you do right now. But before mid-2020, your page was mainly featuring quotes and essays about love and about life. And then I think it was about July, you started to write about racism. 
What made you just decide to start using your platform to write about racism? Was it something that was always in your head that you just wanted to let out? To be honest, it wasn't always something that I was wanting to talk about. And I mean, I'd like to think that everything that's happened in my life has in a way happened quite naturally in the sense that I've never gone into something with a complete expectation of what it should be or how it'll turn out. So with Alyssa Ho Writings, I think I started that around 2013 and I did write a lot on love and life. And the reason for that was because I wanted to write on, I guess, the universal human experiences and emotions that we all go through. And I wanted to write things that a lot of people could find this sense of comfort, healing and hope in. And then, you know, as I grew older and I started working and then I started my own businesses, I just had less time for that passion. So mid-2020, you're right, is when I kind of found my way back to it. So at the time, I had a personal Instagram account, and that was very much a home for everything that was happening in my life. So, you know, behind the scenes of working, running my own businesses, um, hosting and styling and attending events, and then things changed. And I think a lot of things changed for a lot of people last year in terms of what they felt was important for them to talk about. And I became more vocal about anti-racism. And very quickly, I realized that a lot of people who enjoyed the content that I was already sharing started to switch off. And this was something that they didn't want to kind of talk about or hear of. And that kind of just fueled me even more. I felt that you know, people needed to engage in these kind of conversations. And I was just trying to understand why people didn't care as much as I did or about the things that I felt that they should care about. And yeah, in speaking about anti-racism and engaging in those conversations online, I realised that it wasn't going to be easy. So unlike much of the content that I was posting, I was suddenly being challenged and questioned, home policed, gaslit, and it was quite confronting for me. So I did have to ask myself a few times if this was something that I was going to be able to handle emotionally and mentally, because you would know kind of putting yourself out there online, you're open to so much criticism. And, you know, we're open to having conversations, but I think criticism and being challenged is just something completely different. Mm. Um, so in that respect, I wouldn't say it's something that I've always intentionally wanted to talk about, but I think that kind of plays into why I'm so passionate about talking about it now, because I think I navigated through most of my life, ignoring, downplaying and just brushing off the racism that I experienced. And I think that will resonate with a lot of people of colour that we're made to feel like we're an inconvenience or we can't take a joke if we push back against racism. And that kind of speaks about how it creeps into your everyday life and it can be quite normalised and disguised as quite casual. So for me, I think I just felt the need to accept it and not kind of cause an issue um, rather than fighting back against it, which I think is why we are met with so much resistance because for so long people just expect that we're going to take it and that because we've remained silent that it makes it seemingly okay. So yeah, for me, making the decision to go back to Alyssa Ho Writings, there was no clear intention to use it as a platform to talk about anti-racism, but I can't quite explain it. There was just something in me that was like, I need to do it. I, it's, it's now or never. And 
whether I continue to write about love and life, um, mm-hmm. I'm not too sure. Obviously, that's why a lot of people followed me in the first place. But just right now, I just feel so compelled to, to use my platform to speak about this. So, yeah. So what was then your family and friends reaction, like those in particular that have experienced racism throughout their entire lives, as you, as you yourself have as well? What was their reaction when you told them? Because it is such a transition from, because the beautiful yeah. quotes and essays you, wo- you wrote, you can definitely, firstly, you can definitely see that reflected in your other writing about anti-racism because your writing is just so beautiful. But it is such a big contrast. What was then your reaction to like your family and friends? Like were they concerned or worried since for example you were being gaslit by in particular white women like what was their initial reaction to this change yeah I think it's been overall a very mixed reaction so Mm -hmm. I've had some who are just super supportive and they think it's amazing and I've really kind of found myself through this journey and then you've got others who you know you just want to think and hope that it's coming from a good place more than anything rather than them feeling like this is something that we shouldn't talk about. Don't go causing more trouble for yourself. So I've definitely had loved ones who I guess are just hoping that I'm a little bit cautious with what I kind of say online and how I say things. And yeah, I guess it is coming from a place of them just on on the one hand, just hoping that I can handle it, you know, because they know how soft and sensitive I can be and they've seen that firsthand. So I I guess they're worried about how people on the internet, I guess, just unfiltered they can be. And they obviously had an insight into the things that people have said to me. So I think it comes more so from a place of concern and just hoping that I'm going to be okay. Mm. Um, So yeah, it's definitely been a little bit of a, a mixed response from those close to me. I think a lot of them are proud um, and a lot of them are very loving and, and they're going to support me no matter what, whether or not they agree with a lot of the things that I, I am sharing. But yeah, for the most part, I think they just want to make sure that I'm going to be able to handle everything that kind of comes my way. Yeah, because it can be a lot having all these strangers all of a sudden be DMing you and especially when it's about a topic that is so personal to you. I think the first topic that I feel like really launched your platform and has, you know, made you become very well known in a lot of media scapes is your discussion about the fox eye trend. Now, before I even found your page, I did not know anything about the fox eye trends. Like I did notice some I did see like some models, like in particular Bella Hadid, like they were doing that thing with their eyes. I was just like, okay, that's a bit odd. But of course, with my privilege, I never actually connected the the dots and thought that's actually really, really offensive. For those that don't know, what is the fox eye trend? What is it for people that don't know much about it? Yeah, so the fox eye trend is this makeup slash beauty trend where individuals are seeking to achieve slanted, upturned, arm and shaped eyes. So this could be through makeup, posing. I've seen a lot of makeup artists use eye tape or like facelift tape on models um, and even going as far as cosmetic work. So for many Asians, and if we're being very specific, for East and Southeast Asians, we have that eye shape naturally. And to see non-Asians see it as just a makeup look or just a pose, when we've spent all of our lives having our eyes weaponized against us, it is very disheartening. And it is, 
exceptionally triggering to see it translated into something that is just a viral trend to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And what's really weird is the fact that, as you said, it's a trend. So for then your entire culture for your looks to then just be see as a trend because with trends they become really popular but then what does that mean like say in a year's time or a couple of years time is your eyes no longer quote-unquote popular or trendy because yeah. just just yesterday i forget who it was i saw someone share the fact that on tiktok now the new latest trend is people they drawing a bit of brown underneath their eyes so it looks like they have um dark circles underneath their eyes right. yeah i've now I've seen that on a few TikTok videos and I was just thinking really like it's just crazy that you know people can just pick and choose from different cultures to make themselves seem trendy but then after they're no longer popular then what happens like you don't then have any thought towards that culture or that race at all yeah I think that's what it is so the part of the trend that a lot of Asians are taking issue with is the pose um, which is where people are kind of pulling the skin around their eyes towards their temples so for a lot of people who take part in the fox eye trend, that's harmless to them. But to us Asians, we we identify that with an offensive gesture that many non-Asians have done to us to humiliate, mock and harass us. So for me, it's a mirror image of a racially charged gesture. And yeah, like you said, to see it translated into this trend purely for the purpose or excuse of vanity or for the aesthetic, it is, yeah, it is very problematic. And the reason why it speaks to cultural appropriation is because, like you said, it's something that they can kind of switch on and off. So the way that we see it is that our eyes are ugly and undesirable on us, but on non-Asians, particularly white people, it's suddenly trendy and beautiful. So at the end of the day, they can wipe the makeup off and they can move their hands from their eyes and they don't need to deal with the racism or all the cultural baggage that comes from being Asian and, you know, mm. naturally having our eye shape. Yeah, and they can change their eye shape according to whatever trend there seems to be. But yeah, you will always have that eye shape regardless of quote-unquote when it's trendy or not. So. Yeah. With, with all these discussions happening on your page about the fox eye trend, I have definitely seen on your stories you've spoken about how people have been trying to tell you that what they're doing or what um, other people are doing isn't racist, even though they are, majority of them are white people. Why is it white people are so offended if they get accused of creating the fox eyes? Like, do, do white people just have this big innate fear of being called a racist, even though technically we're like in a society that is privileged to white people so we are technically or innately racist like why is it that yeah. people get so offended yeah i mean i really wish i knew and i'm trying so hard to understand i think for me as with any circumstance where anyone's being called out for racism or cultural appropriation i think instead of sitting with the discomfort which i just feel is a part of the process mm. a lot of people are just choosing anger a refusal to show compassion and empathy hatred and often they just double down on their racism so for them I feel like that's so much easier than just putting their pride aside and having a really open honest and meaningful conversation with people of color but as well as themselves so, you know, instead of acknowledging and genuinely apologising and just taking accountability, I feel like for them just kind of shifting the blame and gaslighting is what they turn to. So 
So I think in the context of the fox eye trend, it's also that a lot of people refuse to see what they think is just a harmless beauty trend as racism. Mm -hmm. So to me, that's problematic because you would have seen, I've spoken before that racism is racism. And I think people have a tendency to only accept something as racist if it's very openly hateful and they're very direct about it and there are racial slurs involved. But for me, racism exists in many ways and it manifests quite uniquely and it thrives off of being disguised as a non-issue. So people just saying, oh, it's not a big deal. You're looking too deep into it. And from what I've seen, Um, You would know that I've called out quite a lot of influencers and people in the beauty industry for taking part in the fox eye trend. Yes, thank you so much for doing that because that that would take a lot and I can assume you would have got a lot of interesting DMs from those influencers and their fans. Yes. A hundred percent, yes. So I just feel like we live in this time where some people just aren't willing to sacrifice their beauty and this image that they want to kind of give off to the world um, to do what's right. So they place more value on validation, acceptance and, you know, praise rather than just being a decent human being who's forever open to listening and learning. So, yeah, I don't know. I think quite ironically, I think white people are offended because they don't like being told what to do or what they can't do. And they actually feel that when people of colour are saying, okay, I find this offensive, that's quite insensitive. It's like, well, why are you trying to take something from me? So to have spent most of their lives living in privilege and comfort and then suddenly being told what they're doing is wrong, that's actually quite unfamiliar to them. And it's kind of like, well, how dare you have the nerve to say that to me? So I think they'll hold on to their problematic and what they see as normal behaviour as much as they can. And then, as you would have seen as well, people of colour are often positioned as being sensitive, overdramatic, nasty, bully. So it kind of turns into this situation where we're portrayed as attacking and bullying them and they're the victim. Mm-hmm. Yep. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And something else that you've also spoken about in regards to racism is how Racism against Asians has become so normalized. And as you said earlier, like, you know, it's become normal for white people not to be held accountable for have making racist comments, have um, racist actions. What experiences have you had in regards to experiencing racism because of your race? Yeah. Um, when I started kind of looking into other Asian people's experiences with racism, one thing that stood out for me was that they would say, oh, I've experienced racism, but nothing too serious, like anyone in my face yelling at me, you know, racial slurs, any of that kind of stuff. And I feel like it's almost like they were trying to, I guess, say that any racism that they've experienced wasn't valid, even if it was something that they deemed as small. So 
for me, I've dealt with the real racial microaggressions and these stereotypes that people have of what I should be. So I've dealt with it from strangers as well as people who are friends. So it's comments about me being a bad driver and the only explanation for that being that I'm Asian and that's all it is. There's just this expectation that I'm Asian, I'm a bad driver. The shock horror of being at dinner and letting people know that I'm really bad at math when they just instantly assume that I should be the one to split the bill. (laughs) Oh gosh, the, the discomfort of just sitting there in a group setting a very public group setting and someone just putting on an Asian accent and you know you're just like do I laugh do I call them out if I call them out then I'm seen as like killing the mood and just um being sexualized by random white men when out in public and I used to think it was such a compliment when people used to say to me you're pretty for an Asian or you know you're so much cooler than all the other Asians and you know I would gladly accept that. And I thought, oh, wow, look at that. And then now I look back and I'm just like, you must really think quite poorly of Asians to feel that you need to give me a compliment but degrade other Asians at the same time. So it's all of those little kind of comments in passing or things that people can easily brush off and disguise as a joke. And I think that kind of rings true for people of colour and they'll be able to relate to that as well and that, we're expected to just accept the racism that we experience because so often it is disguised and offended as being harmless or them just having a sense of humour. And it exists in all those stereotypes and these assumptions of who we are and what we're capable of. And it's when people accuse us of not being able to take a joke or being too sensitive or needing to learn how to take a compliment and lightening up. So now I'm just at this point of questioning people as to whether they are actually funny or they can be funny or seemingly praise us without being racist or offensive. Mm -hmm. And I can imagine it would just be so frustrating all these years that like when you hear something racist, you think, okay, do I pull this up? And if I pull this up, then that means it's going to probably lead to an argument or it's going to get awkward. Like if you do that, that would probably then happen several times a day every day of the week and that would just be so mentally exhausting and of course then everyone would be like oh she's a bitch because she just doesn't take a joke like does your mind then have backflips because then you're thinking I really should pull them up so then then they don't continue this behavior but then at the same time I don't want to become a bitch though because I am like like you said ruining the mood or whatever yeah and we know that women of color are put in this position now where if we speak up against racism we're just automatically called a bitch Mm -hmm. um Yeah, I think it's gotten to the point where I'm just choosing my battles. So when I started speaking up about this stuff, every time I'd see something online, every time someone close to me would make some sort of comment that made me really uncomfortable, I was like, I need to say something. It's it's my job. The responsibility falls on me. And then, like you said, seeing how exhausting it honestly was, it just, yeah, I eventually was just like, okay, I'm going to have to really just be more conscious in terms of where I'm directing my emotional labor because reality is I can't get through to everyone not everyone's willing to listen and you'll be able to gauge that as time goes on who actually will be coming to the table and having a conversation with you and who's just going to relentlessly question and challenge you so yeah that's been probably one of the key pieces of advice that I've been giving to people of color which is that you can't fight every battle when it comes to racism um, because you have to look after yourself 
firstly you are your own priority and yeah you just have to speak passionately about what's important to you and you'll be able to realize soon enough who's going to listen and take on what you have to say and I guess just who's kind of a lost cause in that respect. Mm -hmm. And something that you've definitely put in a lot of emotional labor in and a lot of time in educating people about is about the um, the Madge Online. Were you surprised though, when you found out about this, were you surprised though that a group of white women were stealing and profiting off a Chinese culture when you found out about this? Mm, I don't know. I think it's like past the point of being surprised now Mm. and you know, a lot of people de- like a lot of people defend cultural appropriation as their love and appreciation for a culture that isn't theirs. But I just remember reading their about us page, and I was just like, "Yeah, no, this is this isn't right," and I was just internally cringing. So I think, if anything, it gets to the point where every time you see another instance of cultural appropriation, you're just like, "Really again?" are you not paying attention? So I think the the kind of that feeling of sadness and outrage, it's much the same every single time. But yeah, the you definitely get annoyed when you just see it repeatedly happening again and again, because you think that by now people, they are listening and they are willing to learn and they should be more aware of these things, especially when you are kind of, you know, taking something from a culture and trying to say okay well I'm now making it more palatable I'm making it more trendy I'm making it more stylish which we saw with the Marge online um so a lot of the stuff that they were saying and the language that they were using it was just very self-serving and it definitely had that kind of white savior complex in that you know we're here to save mahjong this game that Chinese people have been playing for so long we're definitely going to make it stylish now so yeah there's a lot of discomfort when you see that but yeah it does get to the point where it just doesn't surprise me anymore but it Mm. still doesn't make it more okay as time goes on to see it again and again yeah, exactly. It's become so normalized for, in particular, white women to take, to pick at parts or particular cultures, ethnicities, and just use it as their own. But they always have to add like a little bit of element, like, you know, just to make it more trendy, more palatable, more easier to consume when, like, for example, with the Marge Online, like, as you said, that's been going on for centuries, this game, but they, they thought somehow with their zero experience or zero history that they think oh it needs to be more fashionable and what was it they had like the, on the tiles the images they had to make the images different or something like that yeah and I think they even made them bigger as well so they just yeah they definitely changed a lot of the elements to kind of suit their own needs and desires so it kind of just took away from what the game was about to begin with yeah it's just it's just so wrong but then again, like this is happening so often, but it should not be normalized because already so many other mm. acts of racism has become so normalized that, yeah, sure, surely people got the point that no, you cannot steal someone's culture and just profit of it. Like it's, we can't do, we can't allow it anymore. Yeah. So you've said recently on your Instagram stories that, as you said earlier, you used to write about topics that weren't race related, you used to write about love, write about life. Do you ever feel pressure because your platform has now become so popular in the past six to nine months and 
because a lot of people now come to your platform to learn about racism, in particular with the fox eye trend and about racial gaslighting. Do you feel then pressure now that you have to make sure that you stick to writing these topics, even if, for example, like like you said, you've received a lot of negative um, DMs as well, because like, you know, people get offended for you calling out that for you calling them out for being offensive, they get offended by that. Yeah. <laughs> Do you then feel pressure that you have to continue writing stuff about racism, even though it is it takes so much out of you emotionally, like it's a lot of emotional labor for you? Yeah, certainly. So, yeah, I feel like there is this element of pressure that I'm now known as the anti-racism woman Mm. and that's all there is to me and that's all people want from me. So you would have seen recently that I kind of put up um, like a poll and little question box to, to the Alyssa Ho writings community to ask, you know, why are you following me? Were you following me because of my writings on love or my work on anti-racism? And are you kind of here for everything? Because I know that I have so much more to offer and there's so much more that I, I want to share. Like even if it's things that are happening in my everyday life and, you know, behind the scenes and grandma. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> so it, it's hard to, it's hard to draw that line between speaking on racism and then letting people see that I'm such a multifaceted person with so many other different passions. So it's not so much, I guess, the pressure that I feel that anyone else has really put on me, but I think there's a lot of pressure that I've put on myself now as well. So a lot of people do tend to kind of send me through things that they feel that I need to address and highlight and provide commentary on. So yeah, sometimes I do feel a little bit of pressure in that regards that, you know, I'm now the voice and that, you know, I'm the spokesperson for a lot of things. And I definitely appreciate that because it means that people value what I have to say. Um, But at the same time, I'm trying to empower everyone in the community, the Alyssa Ho writings community to understand that their voice is just as powerful as mine. And you know, everything that I've achieved so far and um, all of the people that I've been able to to connect with and get through to, that hasn't just been, you know, the work of myself alone. That's taken everyone else's support as well. So, yeah, th- there is a lot of pressure that's involved sometimes. So I think, yeah, it, it's something that I'm still trying to work through and, and trying to, yeah, just because I feel like when it happens and I feel like, okay, you can't post anything unless it's related to anti-racism, I kind of just close myself off from the world and I just kind of take a break from social media. So I feel like that has kind of happened recently. I've been super, Mm -hmm. super quiet because there might be something that I want to share that I've gotten up to on a certain day and then I'm like, "Mm, I don't think people want to see that. So then it just goes on and on and then I'm inactive for like two weeks so yeah I'll get there but it is yeah it's a bit of a journey right now yeah and it's hard as well because all this writing that you're doing you're doing it all for free like you know you're not getting paid when you like created that incredible post for example about the the marge online or about racial gaslighting or about how um people will say um what was it I think you said that people will just say to Asians ni hao and like you don't get paid you don't get paid for writing these posts and educating people you don't get paid at all you do this all for free and it takes out a lot of energy of you so yeah I think 
hopefully hopefully when like you do get that to that stage where you're trying to like figure it figure it out like hopefully that yeah, like you are kind to yourself and don't you don't you yourself don't put too much pressure on yourself yeah yeah let's hope so yes <laughs> <laughs> so then the last question i have for you is for people out there that are listening if they themselves get caught out for being racist or perhaps wearing something or doing something that might be cultural appropriation from your experience of dealing with like some influencers and some people that have done the bloody fox eye trend what would you recommend well how should people act like what should they do if this happens yeah i think when people are called out for racism or cultural appropriation the initial thought is that's it there's no way to redeem myself it's over i'm immediately a bad person so i think sometimes that's why you see that kind of defensiveness and anger from them because they just think that everyone's out to get them but I guess what I want people to understand is that if people are trying to educate you on something and they're putting in that emotional labor especially if it is from the community who is affected by what you've said or done it's because they're hoping that you can change or they trust that you will so my advice is just to sit in the discomfort because it's it's not meant to be a comfortable, easy process. And I think a lot of people may just expect that, but just sit in the discomfort first um, and then just listen to what people are saying instead of feeling like you need to defend yourself and that you need to respond. Um, make it less about you when it does come to the time where you are going to address it or apologise don't tone police people of colour, don't talk about how you're not racist, don't talk about, you know, how there was no intent to offend or harm anyone because you just need to kind of reflect on the situation and the reality is that a lot of people obviously are, you know, upset and offended. Um, so, yeah, I think there is a lot to work through there, but I think a lot of it is kind of just putting your pride and ego aside and, and just knowing that, you can make things right. So I think a lot of people just immediately feel like that's it. They've, they've done the wrong thing and there's no going back from that. So, yeah, I think actually addressing it rather than just staying silent is most important. So I think a lot of people just think, okay, if I don't talk about it, the issue and all of these people who are supposedly offended, they'll go away. But I think, yeah, at least acknowledging what's happened and what you've done and sincerely apologizing so not apologizing because you feel that people are urging you to um, but apologizing because you actually feel that what you've done was perhaps not the best thing to have done um, so yeah that's probably my advice Mm -hmm. yeah yeah none, none of these like apology youtube videos of where people are crying yeah. and want people to feel sorry for them like exactly you're not apologizing so people feel sorry for you you're just apologizing yeah. because what you did is offensive you do not know yeah what people's history are is like with that act of racism or cultural appropriation you did and and the thing is in there we're all we're all still learning like no one no one's perfect and yeah like I myself have definitely in my past have done racist things, said and done things that are racist and I am learning like, like yeah. we're just, we're just all trying to become better people and it's going to take time. But the only way we can learn is to at least acknowledge the fact that we did do something wrong and that we want to like educate, educate ourselves on it. Yeah. I think a lot of people are, are just so scared now to, to do or say a lot of things because it's always like, oh, what if I say the wrong thing? What if someone's offended? And it's like, you know what? We're, 
we are all going like we are all still learning like mm. I admit I admit all the time that I'm still learning things myself and I'm bound to get things wrong um, even if it's not necessarily in regards to racism but there's so many different life experiences to mine which I may be you know a little bit oblivious to or I might say things that are offensive to a certain community so I think as long as you're open to learning like that's the most important thing but if you're just going through life and it's like I'm living my life the right way I'm not taking on any feedback um you know then that then yeah I guess that's when you need to kind of just self-reflect a little bit more yeah absolutely well thank you so much for putting in the time to talk to me today like you've given the audience such incredible useful information not just on today's episode but just on your platform as well you have just spent thank you you really you really have made a difference and you really have I think opened a lot of people's eyes into racism against Asian the Asian community that I think many of us just had no idea how much it can impact the Asian community so just honestly big big thank you Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that. And I'm hoping as time goes on, I'm able to speak more about the racism that Asians experience. I feel that I've been able to connect with a lot of um, a lot of people. So yeah, it's it's really important to me to to continue talking up about things that affect us. So yeah, thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for coming on. All right. All see right. ya. Bye. Bye. Thank you everyone for tuning in to today's episode of The Nasty Woman Club. I highly recommend giving Alyssa Ho a follow on her Instagram page, Alyssa Ho Writings. Make sure you also scroll through her page and read some of the educational material she's put together for her followers. Now, as per usual, every Thursday episode, I announce next Monday's episode topic of the day. Now, the topic I'll be ranting about is dangerous men making a comeback in Hollywood. So with all these reports coming out about Marilyn Manson and Army Hammer, some say these men will never work again due to their now quote-unquote tarnished reputations. Or better way to say it, because they're dickheads and they're abusers. But I'm not so sure that they'll be ostracized from Hollywood forever. Because sadly there are many male actors and musicians that have made a comeback even when they've been accused of sexual assault, violence, and other heinous crimes. So, I want to hear your thoughts on this matter. Do you think these toxic men, Marilyn Manson and Army Hammer, do you think they'll make a comeback? Or are their careers indeed over? And can you name any other dangerous celebrities that have made a comeback regardless of their problematic and abusive history? I want you to join the conversation. Send me a voice memo on Instagram at the Nasty Woman Club, or send me a voice memo through my email address, hello at thenastywomanclub.com. Anyway, thank you so much for listening to TNWC. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review. Every share, every rating, and every review helps grow this podcast. I'll be in your ears again on Monday. I'm your host, Damien Lynch. Stay nasty, everyone.